The Youthscape Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Youthscape Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we just wanted to open by reminding you of that lovely little weekend that we're going to share together in November. Oh, yeah. The 10th, the 12th. Not me and you, like me and these, and you, but and everybody else. <laughs> 10th, the 12th in Birmingham. And uh, we're very excited because today's interview on the podcast is with Tim Chadwick. And uh, he Tim is. Chadwick. Chadwick. Tim Chadwick. And uh, he is going to be one of our speakers at the National Youth Ministry Weekend. And Martin, do we have any new updates? We do. About yeah, we do. Yeah. Come on, tell us about that. Okay, so, so this is obviously the place for breaking news on the National Youth Ministry Weekend. Uh, and so a couple of things to tell you about. I'm going to do one of them and I'm going to get you to do the other one. Okay. Because I can't pronounce your thing. Oh, So, yes. so I'm going to talk about it. So we're going to have seminars, um, but we're going to keep them really focused um, so there's going to be a few streams that you can attend. There'll be one which is really aimed at uh, people who want to just develop basic youth work skills. So there'll be a kind of youth work 101 stream. There'll then be a, a stream that's more based around innovation, which is going to be a real theme of the of the conference. And then there's going to be a, a, a stream which is looking at models of uh, youth ministry, particularly youth discipleship, which are tried and tested, which really work. So we're hopefully going to be able to illustrate some interesting uh, models that are working. But the other one, which I'm really interested in uh, telling you about today, but the other one, which I'm super excited about, is uh, we're going to be doing a stream that goes a bit deeper into theology and youth ministry. Now, don't let that scare you off, um, because if that scared you off, then this will scare you even more, because it's, <laughs> we're incredibly privilege that um, coming across to to take that uh, set of seminars, um, we have um, some amazing folk from the Princeton Theological Seminary Institute for Youth Ministry. Um, I would say pretty much world-leading academics thinking about youth ministry, and they're coming along to the weekend. So you will get, on top of all the other cool stuff that's going on that we've already told you about, you, this is the way to justify it to your treasurer, frankly. You are going to get some input from the leading youth ministry academics in the world, in the universe, in the known universe. Wow. Um, and so I'm really excited so yeah. um, that they're coming. And uh, you can find out a bit more about them on the contributors section of the website, youthscape.co.uk slash NYMW. But there's also something else uh, exciting brewing that I can't pronounce. So, Rachel, what, what is this? Well, to give you some context of this, um, I feel, we feel, that conferences, weekends away like this, it's so important to have great content, and we have, and Marlon's just lined it up for us. It's so important to have a great welcome, and a sense where if you need the space to chat with people, pray with people, go have a hug if you're an extrovert like me, that there are people available to do that who have eons of experience in youth ministry and in prayer and that kind of stuff. So what I did, my friends, was I got on the phone and I rang up a few of the uh, national youth ministry denominational leaders and said, would you like to come and be part of an R team? And it's an R team because it's the 
A and H, the Aaron and her team. Oh, I see. And the idea being that actually people who are going to hold up your hands, hold up your arms. I mean, not literally. You're not going to have Matt Summerfield and Andy Croft like walking around <laughs> holding up your arms unless you want that. Yeah. I mean, you could pre-book that maybe. You could do that. We'll sell you that. We'll sell you that. <laughs> they can walk around carrying a loo roll for you or whatever it is that we need at conferences. Um, but the idea being there'll be a number of people available for the weekend. And the beautiful thing is, we are only going to be there on that team to serve you guys. Mm. And, and these are leaders that you might normally be used to seeing on platforms. Yeah. But at this weekend, they're not going to be on platforms. No. They're going to be just, you know, doing their beautiful thing, inspiring us, ministering to us, holding up our hands, holding our bags, getting us a coffee. Go, go get me a coffee, Chris Curtis. Go on, get me a coffee. Thank you. He's never done that for me. I've been for no, four so years. I've been this is beautiful, isn't it? Kira, Theo, some fantastic people. So we're really, really, really excited about this. So please book your place and uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, and we'll tell you more, even more about it uh, in a few podcasts time. Uh, but today uh, we're going to introduce you to a speaker who may not be familiar to you. Um, but we are, re- I mean, I know I'm running out of superlatives here, but I'm I mean, so excited. I think it's best just to say he doesn't have a W in his surname. He doesn't. It's, it's not Chadwick. It's not Chadwick, it's Chadwick. And you, you're going to learn that by November. You're going to learn it by November. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so, so Tim Chadwick um, uh, is an amazing guy. In fact, we, uh, I, uh, I'll let him introduce himself in a moment. Um, but we're thrilled that he's coming, and we thought it'd be great for you to meet him. So a few days ago, Martin uh, met with Tim and dragged him up to this tower and Frank, his youth worker, and uh, had a bit of a conversation. And this is how it went. The Youthscape Podcast. Well, excitingly, I am joined today by Mr. Tim Chaddick. Uh, Tim, welcome to the Youthscape Podcast. Thank you, Martin. It's good to be here. Uh, do I call, do I, uh, call you Pastor Tim? Or have you, have you got a sort of anointed yeah. name? You know, reverend. Are you reverend? No. Oh. I just prefer it. Okay, well, don't we all? Yes. So <laughs> Right reverend, you know, most most reverend, is that a, is that a title? I think anything. Can you anything. give that title to me right now? Okay. Yes, I shall confer on you the title of right reverend Tim Chaddick. Perfect. I've been reordained at yeah. Eastgate. This that's, is great. That's one of our new powers. Right. You just give um, that ordination. Yeah, we do that now. That's fantastic. Uh, so, so, so welcome. Thank you for coming on. Um, I just, I'm, I, I, I fear this is a little bit self-indulgent, but I just want to tell the story of how we first met because it's a moment of great humiliation for me and I just remembered it. Um, but I remember the morning when I'd come to meet, I thought you, um, for a coffee with, uh, with a guy from Integrity Music and he said, oh, you've got to meet Tim Chanix. He's this great guy. He's written a book. It's fantastic. You should meet him. Um, I'm going to meet him for coffee. Uh, in this place in in London, and he gave me an address, and then he said, um, uh, "Just come. Why don't you come too? You can come as my plus one." So I was like, "Great!" So I I got up, got there nice and early, uh, got to the venue where we were meeting for coffee. You weren't there, so I'm like, "Okay, what's happened?" I looked to my sat nav. I realised there were two streets with the same name, so I walked for uh, about three miles to find the other place. Uh, and that was a block of flats, so that definitely wasn't where we were supposed to be meeting. So then I call the guy from Integrity Music and ask him, and he's like, no, no, it's not there, it's somewhere, it's a third place, we moved it, I'm sorry I didn't tell you, I'm like, that's fine, I'm, I'm now 45 minutes late, it's fine, so I start running to Brick Lane, which is about another two miles away, so I've covered about five miles, and, uh, and then I, I burst into this coffee shop, hot and sweaty, and as I walk in, there's total silence. And I realised that this isn't a coffee with you and the guy from Integrity Music. I've come to some sort of weird church leaders meeting. 
and with I'm, about 30 other people. With about 30 other people. <laughs> where the most like intense guy I've ever heard in my life <laughs> was speaking. And I didn't understand a word he was saying. But I arrived, dripping with sweat. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, you remember that. Everyone remembers that. I walk in, and there's uh, just a bit of silence, a bit of awkward silence. So I shuffle in and sit down next to the guy from Integrity Music who apologises briefly. And I'm looking around there, and I'm like, I have no idea where I am. So I don't know what this place is. I don't know who these people are. I'm not allowed to ask because it's silent, and then really intense guy is saying something I don't understand. Right? This goes on for like about 20 minutes because the guy just speaks in one continuous sentence. Yeah. And then finally, you know, you nearly left before I got a chance to say hello to you. I'm, I'm glad it wasn't entirely wasted. But finally, we became friends, thankfully. And you're now speaking at the National Youth Ministry Weekend. And we did end up having that coffee. We did. We did glorious. have the coffee. Yeah, and it was great. A walk on the canal. So I, it's all coming back to me. Yeah. So, you know. Redemptive moment. I think it's good to be humiliated. From time to time, isn't it? It's great to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Tim, to just explain. So, I, I talked about you a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, uh, and I think the summary I gave was uh, was doing really well uh, in a mega church in the US, and then jacked it all in for total obscurity in the UK. So, do you want to just explain <laughs> that a story in a bit more detail? Yeah, about. Um... Almost 12 years ago, my wife and I moved to LA, particularly the Hollywood area to plant a church. So that was around 2005. And just kind of started from scratch, just a few people in a living room, you know, that kind of story. And um, yeah, we're there for yeah, over a decade. And it was incredible, like raised our family there. Um, so, I mean, some of the most incredible experiences I've had just in the Christian life in general, were ministering and pastoring in that church, seeing people come to faith, seeing just all the crazy stories that you know you would expect, including one of my first counseling appointments, showing up to an apartment, opening the door, and there's cocaine everywhere. I'm thinking, okay. I didn't learn about what to do in this situation <laughs> in seminary. Like, do I go outside? I don't want to get arrested. You know, all that. Uh, we did. End what up, did you do? We ended up sitting out on the, the curb. Go I just thought it was safe. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going in there. Why don't you come out here? Um, but it was, it was absolutely incredible. And over the years, experienced some, some growth and you know staff and all that. Um, but during that whole time, we'd been coming to the UK, doing some ministry here, had a lot of great friends. And uh, over the years, we just had this sense, especially in the last three years, we had this sense that our time was done, our time was done, our time was done. And um, it wasn't like uh, the ship was sinking or anything, because uh, that would be convenient. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I think I'm called to the next thing. Yeah. Um, it, you know, everything seemed really healthy. But we just discerned over lots of prayer and conversations that God was was calling us, um, particularly to, to London. So through a lot of um, just wrestling, you know, my wife and I just going back and forth, um, we made the decision and definitely realized through that process the desire to plant churches. And I think there's a lot of self-discovery in what God's gifted me for. And I think I wrestled too with a lot of the complexity as things are more and more established. I think I'm definitely a starter and I want to like step out in faith, kind of see new things happen. And um, so the opportunity came up um, for us to, to come here and... Um, yeah, it's just been an incredible journey. And so that was a year and a half ago mm. now. Um, I'm still part of the same church family, church network. So that definitely made it uh, easier in some sense. So we're still, you know, leaving family, leaving our church, but we were still in the same church family. Mm. So we feel very supported and connected to that. And having a lot of friends and community here from the minute that we landed um, has just been mm. absolutely incredible for us. And it's been very humbling just don't have a lot of the support structures that yeah. we did 
yet in that desperation, seeing how other people have just come around, mm. even from our new church community, just bringing food around when my wife's been unwell. To, yeah, just the simplest things. I don't think I've ever been more grateful for just the smallest acts of kindness done in the church than I, than I ever have in this experience. And one of the interesting things about your story is that you didn't do what you might imagine would happen if an American comes from a large <laughs> church in America to the UK. Is you didn't open the church on the sort of Wednesday after you landed. Right. You know, you did a year, didn't with a, you? With so a giant video screen. With a huge yeah. video screen and a, and a relay back to the pastor <laughs> yeah, in LA. Yeah. So you, you didn't do that. So so why did you spend a year just just not not planting a church? I think one of the we knew the the you know kind of visa issue um, would would be there of course, but the opportunity came up through a really good friend that I've had for eight years who was um, who's been the vicar of um, St James Clerkenwell Central London for almost twenty years now, mm -hmm. and he'd become a good friend over the last eight years. Loved him, and when he heard that we were praying about moving over, he essentially said. If God's calling you here, we want to do anything to help you. It's amazing. So they offered me a part-time job. They could sponsor my visa. Um, and we were delighted in that because we, we didn't want to do that. Like, we're here and, like, open up shop. Like, we don't know what we're doing. Um, even though we've been in ministry for some time, there was that sense of vulnerability. Like, mm. I literally don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, and just being able to settle, just to be healthy as a family, to, you know, acclimate, to... Yeah, just do like learn rhythms of life, get to know people, establish relationships. Yeah, um, yeah it was it was absolutely formative, uh, not just for me, but for my my whole family, and mm. um, it was incredible. I would never trade that time back. Mm. And the process during that time was just as relationships were establishing and things were just kind of naturally moving forward. We just were kind of following. We didn't really have much of a timeline. It was more of milestones. Yeah, like if we notice some health and some momentum, we'll then take the next step. And yeah. That's kind of uh, how it happened. It was an incredible experience. And and you had done before that. The church had grown pretty big. You, uh, as it was described to me by others, had sort of <laughs> got to that stage where you were kind of like speaking on platforms, uh, speaking to six or 7,000 people of an evening. Uh, you know, you, you've, you've written a couple of books, so you were kind of on that trajectory as well. What did it feel like to step out of that arena? Because, you know, presumably if you're not in that game, if you move to the UK, you, the, the phone stops ringing a little bit, does it? Yeah. Yeah. Usually completely. Except for uh, Youthscape. Yeah, we rang. In the year. Yeah. So, um, it actually felt, I think the word I would use is it felt right. Mm -hmm. um, I think realizing for me that um, I just long for people who are on the fringe to kind of come in. Um, that's both for people who are not Christians as well as people who are just kind of jaded or they're struggling or I've just always wanted to reach those people. And I think some people are very gifted and called to do that kind of, you know, that circuit and encourage mm -hmm. the church and they have that prophetic voice into many, many, you know, churches and ministries and whatnot. Um, but for me, especially growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, becoming a new Christian, not having any Christian friends, there's always been that gritty aspect of that first year of my um my faith that i just identified with people who are in hard kind of secular environments because for me that's what it was mm -hmm. a lot of the stereotypes about 
church size in the States would generally be true, but certainly not near Berkeley and San Francisco. Definitely not be true. I moved down to Southern California and go, oh, that's what we're talking about. Like, I didn't know there was like a Christian music industry. I was like, oh, wow. People were getting Unfortunately DC. so. Yeah, Jesus stickers. I'm like, oh my goodness, who is DC Talk? And why did, you know, like what, what what's happening? Here? Well, I'm glad you now know. <laughs> yes, I, I do know now. Um, but I think I've just, that has been very formative for me. So I think I'm mm. constantly looking for, I, I just want to, reach people that you know maybe wouldn't have that opportunity and mm. for those who are doing that hard work mm. where they feel it every day and it's not just open up shop there's thousands you know for those people who are like i'm investing in one two three four people you know especially i think of youth ministry i think a lot of people like starting out it's hard you're not always mm. getting the pat on the back and you're not getting this kind of instant success and i think sadly even if it's unintentional there's that idea that successfulness equals fruitfulness Mm. Um, clearly jesus didn't say you're gonna hear well done my good and successful servant but well done good and faithful servant yeah so i just i think i really have a heart for that i identify with that and i think that's what god's called us to to kind of start things and 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 having made that journey what um what wisdom do you have for those who might you know um even subconsciously Look at the platform. Look at the, uh, you know, the the main stage stage, right. and think, I would love to be on that. Yeah. I think there would be great. I could do great ministry if I was on that. I could right. really be used by God if I was standing there. Because I think if we're we're honest, it's something we don't we don't talk about very much. But yeah. but there is a real jostling for that yeah. that platform, even in the UK where there's there's not you know so much of an audience to yeah. to compete for. So what what have you learned? from your experience of being on them? I think the greatest question, and I'm thinking particularly of people who are in more of a vocational ministry type where they are going to conferences and and whatnot, I think we have to ask the question, where did my expectations come from? Um, So when I think about successful, fruitful ministry, whatever that looks like, I think we just have to stop and ask, like, where did that come from? Does it actually come from scripture? Does it come from my sense of calling and, and gifting? Or is it just coming from somebody else's calling, somebody else's gifting or maybe just what Christian culture has produced or elevated again whether intentionally or not sometimes that can be held up as like this is you know you've arrived if if you're like on the platform and and yet I mean Jesus time and time again it's being faithful with what with what he has called you to and that could be small great but I mean I think one of the, the biggest you know challenges I think is when people then try to step into that and discover that it's hard or they can't get there and then they're depressed or they feel mm-hmm. unsuccessful mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. And I just think it's in those moments where we have to ask the hard question of like, where did my expectations come from? Did they really come from Jesus? Did they come from scripture? Did they come from the community around me? Like we just need a whole reorientation mm-hmm. around that because faithfulness is what Jesus is calling me to do. And if that means leave the platform, go to the platform, like I don't really care just mm-hmm. as long as we're measuring it by what scripture says, mm-hmm. not just by what the broader culture says. Good answer. So, a uh, ch- bit of change of direction, but you uh, you weren't you didn't grow up uh, kind of in church. You didn't grow up kind of Christian home and so on. So, can you just tell us a little bit about your story and uh, and you, how you uh, encountered the Christian faith for the first time? Yeah, well, actually, um, my family members were Christian. My father was unwell um, since the time I was a young kid. He eventually died. And they had, before I was born, they had moved up to the San Francisco area, which, again, just church culture was just non-existent there. 
And in my very, very young years, I don't remember any of this, but some very bad experiences happened. My family ended up moving to a different town. So by the time I really remember anything, my idea of, of church um, was basically sitting in a room with like a couple of other people and, uh, you know, they would open up the Bible. But especially seeing my dad suffer, he, was never, he wasn't able to get out of bed, like all these things. My brother and I just thought, I don't even care about God because he's clearly not good and all those attitudes and just the, the kids I grew up around never met anyone that went to church and early on just got involved in a lot of horrible things like just drugs and partying and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, just all these, these different ways of life and just trying to live for myself. And then it was when I was 19 that this really annoying Christian girl um, that I had met who lived two hours away from me, she would call me up like every few months and invite me to Christian events and I would always say no. And uh, one day I said yes and um, that's when I heard the gospel with such clarity and I was just overwhelmed and that was the day I got saved. So it was a big shift of like going from my parents have faith, but yeah, they suffered and we didn't really have that Christian culture, mm-hmm. that kind of community. Um, and then once becoming a Christian, not having any friends who you mm-hmm. know, believed in that and were very adamantly against faith. Mm-hmm. In some sense, I'm so thankful for it because mm-hmm. if there's one thing that it's made me incredibly grateful for is uh, something that actually Dietrich Bonhoeffer points out in Life Together. He says, let anyone who has experienced a common Christian community thank God from the bottom of their heart on their knees that they even know another Christian. Wow. And I think my experience is really, we get really picky, like, I don't really like my church, or like <laughs> these people, like we, we don't like the same music. And I just want to say, who cares? Yeah. The fact that you even know a human being who believes in Jesus is like amazing. So let's be grateful about it. And uh, stop being so picky and all that. So I think that's one lesson that's definitely carried over. And, and do you think that perspective has kind of helped you? Because you, you, you kind of seem quite passionate about people who don't know Jesus. No, like normal people who don't know Jesus. Right. Like everyday people, not nice, safe, middle class people who look like us. Right. Or like me. <laughs> uh, you, you don't look that middle class. Actually. You're covered in tattoos. Um, but but what, um, uh, you know, is that, is that, do you think that shaped that, the fact that you came from that? That background. Yeah, I think so. I think um, it, not always just that even people who are middle class, at least where I'm from, would still have kind of an edginess in their belief system. And so I think I really I like people who are uh, cynical and skeptical because by nature, I feel like I'm, a, I'm slightly cynical and skeptical. And so I'm always like, no, oh, that's probably not true. That's just kind of my default. This is why place. you like British comedy as well. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Just was raised on Monty Python, Faulty Towers, um, and love the Alan Partridge show. Um, yeah, there's just something that resonates with me in that. And so I, I feel like I, okay, I get it. Like, well, let's talk about that. Let's address those questions as opposed to assuming that everyone's just open and like, I'm like, God loves you. Like, really amazing. Like, great problem solved. I like engaging with the tough questions because I had those same questions myself, my family experience, my father suffering, just all of that. So I, I genuinely love those opportunities to ask and address the hard questions with people who have them. Fabulous. So you, you, uh, you brought Frank with you today. Frank is, Frank, hello, Frank. Hello. Frank's the, uh, youth worker in the corner. He is. So, um, in the corner. And uh, we'll get, you know, we'll get letters about this. <laughs> we don't get emails about anything else. We'll get letters about leaving the youth worker in the corner. So, um, uh, but, but so Frank is, uh, uh you're, you've got a, uh, youth leader now at your church. Kind of, you, you've just started going. I'm very excited that, that youth ministry is on the agenda. So talk to me about why. Yeah, well, one big reason, uh, 
selfishly, I suppose, is that my oldest daughter turns 13 next month. So I'm just kind of having my own personal crisis <laughs> about that. So um, Frank, uh, I met Frank you know, about a year ago, um, or maybe a little bit less, and just felt called to the church. And he's uh, loads of experience in youth work. And so even as a brand new church, just didn't think, oh, we're not going to really be able to do anything official. And I just had a lot of doubts. And actually, Frank is the one who was like, let's pray, let's pray, let's have faith. And he's the one that totally initiated it, not even me, and wanting to take a step of faith. And so he's done so in the last few months. And we've been able to, to start like a small group. And my daughter has loved it. And Frank's just been amazing. And uh, he's got a lot of just great experience. And he just sacrifices his time. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's been amazing. I'm mm. so thankful for it. So I feel very invested in the youth world, especially as my kids are getting older. I, I've just realized that, Frank, you should come over here. Come come and sit down, Frank. I, I, I feel like otherwise uh, Rachel is going to be very upset with me. Um, so so just, you, Frank, you uh, you are the sort of volunteer youth leader at at the church. What's the church called, actually? The church yeah, is called, the church called Reality Church London, which is a part of a network of churches back in the states called reality so the la church was called reality la yeah. and there's reality san francisco I see what you did there. reality boston see that yeah you can borrow that if you want uh, thanks steal it. Yeah. thanks so frank uh so what is it like being the uh, uh volunteer youth leader at a church that didn't have didn't exist and didn't have any have any youth work <laughs> it like, still barely exists <laughs> how do you it theoretically exists this church um, so, so, so what is it like sort of starting from scratch and how on earth have you gone about that? Uh, well, experience as well, because when I was in the States, I studied in the States and I usually join churches that are in need of youth ministry. And I just have that love and that passion and that drive to set the foundation and knowing that I was never going to be there for that long. Uh, so setting the foundation, I was just like, look, these kids need a space. These kids need love and these kids need um, people to look up to. Um, so with the same mentality of coming back to London, especially London's my home. And so knowing just there aren't a lot of churches um, that do like youth work. There's a lot of youth organizations. Um, so when I encountered Tim, I was like, Tim, look, I just, I'm called to youth. I'm called to young people. Um, and I want to make that happen because the passion in me is just burning. Um, so just going about it is is basically just loving on the kids. I know the first part of youth ministry is about building um, intentional relationships with the kids, um, knowing what they love doing and then catering to them. Um, so that's kind of what I've gone about doing this youth ministry with reality, just loving on the kids. And we've had about, what, 14 of them come through on that's a fantastic. Friday night. That's fantastic. So, yeah, just loving on them, goofing around. And I'm, I'm the type of person that I don't care if I make a fool out myself as long as they're having a good time. Good on you. Well, as we've proved already, that also applies to, to us. Um, uh, the noise you heard there, by the way, was a little, there was a little ping as an email came on the computer. Um, we won't edit that out because it just tells people that we're a uh, shoestring production and that you should give money to the Patreon account. <laughs> That's, there we go. Um, but so, so finally, you know, what, how important is the dynamic then between you two so it's really interesting, you know, you, the context of today actually is that you two have come up here, you know, um, to, to have a bit of time out together and, and uh, come around the Youthscape building. Remember, you're always invited, uh, dear listener. Um, but how important is this uh, dynamic between you and your senior pastor um, for youth work, if youth ministry is going to thrive? I think it's, the relationship is very important. And I think Tim has identified callings and that's a really big part of, 
of just the DNA of the church is what is your calling and and to have a pastor that supports you in that way and really, really has given me the freedom uh, to do um, what is appropriate in, in the will of the Lord within the guidelines of youth ministry. So having his support is essential, um, but also having someone to go to when you're uncertain or how do we go about this to have the extra ear. Um, there's always that support and there's never ever a doubt in Tim's mind it's like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? But it's more like, pray about it. How can we go about it? Um, and how can we accomplish this together? Um, so that aspect of us doing things together rather than a separation of like, no, I'm the lead pastor, you're the youth guy, you sort it out. And if there's a problem, come and see me. But it's, he's very involved hmm. in that. Um, but it's just a really good relationship that he and I have of just trusting in me with the youth that we have. That's fabulous. And if all, if all churches could just do that, that would be, that'd be excellent. If you're listening, that would be great. I'm sure you probably want exactly the same thing. Well, look, Frank, thank you. You've been a good sport just coming in there. You thought you were just here to take photographs or something in the corner. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and no, you just jumped in and had some wisdom. So thank you. Um, Tim, very excitingly, you are going to be speaking at the National Youth Ministry Weekend uh, in uh, November. But if people would like to find out more about you before then, is there, do you have a website? Uh, yeah, uh, it hasn't been updated in a while, but uh, it is timchatic.com um, for just kind of general stuff. The church specifically is realitychurch.london, um, which is probably the better place to go to All right. some more information. That could be your tagline. Yeah. Probably a better place to go to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah not, not quite as confident. Like, possibly, maybe. Well, that's very British. Place, yeah. That's very British. That would be a nice British twist on an American <laughs> church plan. You could visit this website if you really wanted to. Brilliant. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Youthscape.co.uk slash NYMW. That was great at the end that Frank got involved with the conversation and just sort of opened up a little bit about his heart around working with Tim and what it's like to have a leader who is not a yes guy, but who is collaborative, who says to Frank, that's the vision, that's the dream, what can I do to support you? And what a difference that would make for all of us if that was our experience in leadership. Martin, for you, as you were... Um, Chatting with Tim, what, what was it for you that really struck you about either Tim's leadership model or how yeah. it's developed? Well, the, the number one thing that's always struck me about Tim from the first moment I met him in a rather awkward and embarrassing circumstances um, what, what was um, the fact that he's made this very unusual and unorthodox journey uh, from being on the big platform mm -hmm. to well, not quite obscurity, but comparative obscurity in a different country where he's not known or he's had to start from scratch. And actually, uh, one of the most amazing things which we talked about was the fact that he decided not to just go in and launch a, uh, a church the day he landed, as others have. Uh, he came in and he actually spent a year and a bit assimilating a bit of the culture, waiting to be invited to join conversations, building friendships and things. And I, I think he's the real deal, actually. I, I you know, um, I really, really like him. And, and, and one of the things that... Uh, I've tried to draw out, as you as you may have noticed, as you heard the creaking of my crowbar in that conversation. Uh, I tried to get him to talk a little bit about um, the the lure of the platform that is is so kind of we know this, don't we? Know everyone is kind of to some extent drawn to trying to be on a stage. Uh, not everyone. Producer Rachel is shaking her head, but many of us in Christian leadership are. And, uh, and I think particularly that can sometimes be true for, for, for youth ministers. Yeah, and, and even if actually individually people are not feeling the lure of the platform, we're still occupying 
an environment where somehow, somehow platform is elevated mm, mm. above other things that we do. Yeah. I mean, you talk about this a fair bit, Marcel. I have, I have to say, done. this is something that's on your heart a fair bit. And what, the word platform, what are you meaning by that? Are you meaning anyone that ever stands on a stage ever is only there because they've responded to the lure of the platform? No. Is there something more subtle around what that platform mentality is that we need to check in our spirits? Well, I've, I, I got into some um, moderately well-publicised arguments with uh, Michael Hyatt, who wrote the book Platform. And, and I find Platform a really interesting book. So it's a book written by a Christian, published by a Christian publishing house. So I think you fair game to critique it from a Christian perspective, um, in which he shows you how to build your brand in a noisy world. It's strap line is something like that. And essentially he's saying, in a world where everybody's talking, you've got a your job as, a, as an individual, as a leader, is to uh, try and get ahead of everyone else by successfully building and curating your platform. Now that's narcissistic, I think. It's also, um, it, it, it leans you towards projecting a fake version of yourself. You, you start to be dishonest about who you really are because you only show people the avatar version of who you are. But also it makes you thirst after... Uh, likes it makes you thirst after um, uh, publicity, people sharing and saying good things about you, uh, all all of those things which we inherently know aren't healthy, and we know also they trigger this dopamine reaction in our brains, which makes us want more and more of it. It makes us crave um, the the affections, uh, the good words of others, rather than having a secure, you know, um, good place of identity in, 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 in who we are. So. So I think it's really dangerous, and it happens on a macro scale with um, you know celebrity bloggers who want to get even bigger and mm-hmm. act in very questionable ways uh, in order to get more publicity for something or or to build up their their, their profiles. But I think it happens on small ways as well. I think it happens you know in youth ministry. I know I've had a youth group of ten, and I've realised I am their guru. You know I mm-hmm. am. I've got this little platform in front of those guys where if I don't check my own heart. I'm essentially starting to enjoy a bit too much mm-hmm. the fact that they think the world of me, that they might share what I have said on Instagram, whatever that is, you know, and and, uh, and and so I think it happens even at that small level that we just start to desire uh, self-promotion. We start to desire um, other people thinking well of us and more importantly telling others that they think well of us. You know, it's, it's a bit... Um, uh, obvious to say, but you know, there's far more of us that religiously check our follow accounts on Twitter and and how many likes and shares we've had for a post, and and get depressed if those things don't always point upwards than we than would like to admit. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a real issue for all of us, and it, it, you're right, it's a, a massive scale, Christian leaders, um, and it's a small scale as well, each one of us. So it's quite inspiring, isn't it, meeting someone like Tim mm-hmm. who makes decisions that actively interrupt that. Mm. And I think what was really interesting for me is when you asked him, like when you arrived in the UK and your phone stopped ringing, how did that feel for you? And, and he said that felt right. Mm. And I think that, that moment said to me, oh yeah, actually he's found something refreshing, which means that occupying platforms again come from a different place, don't they? Actually having the opportunity to speak into people's lives or having something that you've written, read, or something you said, heard, that in and of itself is not the issue, is it? It's kind of the meaning that is placed on that that becomes the ideological thing. But it's so challenging. I think it's so powerful for us to meet someone like Tim who has done that journey and has lived in obscurity, which yeah. most of us do most of the time, actually. The work that we do that has significance is very invisible and yeah. very hidden. And 
And that's powerful, isn't it? And so, the glorious irony is, of course, we're now putting him on a stage at a concert. Yes, we are the people that are dragging him back up there. And then we're going to say, don't get on the platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I think that, no, but that's key, isn't it? I think that's why, actually, this little R team, this little team at the conference, I think these leaders have blessed me incredibly because I literally just rang leaders up and said, we would just love you at the weekend because we know that first and foremost, you love young people, you love the Lord, you love youth workers. And without a, a dropping a beat, every single one of these denominational leaders, organisational leaders have said, yeah, I'll be there. Of course I'll be there. And I've never had to say, but you know, we're not going to give you a slot. And, then, and I think it's really so, it's just brilliant. We have, I think in this season of, of youth ministry in the UK, God's raising up in all different ways, fantastic women and men whose hearts are for uh, young people in youth ministry and... And not just trying to get on stage. Yeah, so she that gets on stage is quite a lot. Well, that's the tension, isn't it? Yeah, I, it is. I always find this. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I always like to be really brutally honest about it as well, mm -hmm. and, I, and, and I'm sure you do, but, you, you know, there is... You do constantly have to check yourself, mm -hmm. and that's the most important thing. You're just mm -hmm. aware of it, and you keep checking in. Yeah, and, and, and trying to check your motives yeah. and, and, and counteract them. Yeah. Um, I know if I've written an article yeah. and it does really well, then I, I get a boost from that. Of course yeah. I did. I feel good. People start, you know, occasionally mm -hmm. people say, very occasionally people say, oh, you know, that was great. That was, you know, we were really blessed by it. Mm -hmm. and share it. Of course I noticed that. Of course I'm, uh, you know, encouraged by it and a bit excited about it. And the challenge is always at that moment taking that thought captive as they say, yeah. and, and and saying, you know, hang on, you know, what's it's this about? It. Am I yeah, yeah exactly subverting yeah. it and, and, and asking where the glory is supposed to be going. Yes. And I, I do I mean this feels a bit ironic as well and I'll show you a story about myself while I'm trying to kind of challenge this. But I do remember one time speaking at a conference where I was the only woman that was speaking for that whole week and I on the on a platform. There were many other women that were speaking in lots of different ways in other places, but in terms of the, the main platform. And I hadn't twigged that until I got there. And by the time it came to the day that I was speaking that night, I'd had so many people saying, oh, you're the only woman, that I just felt, I can't, I'm, I'm beginning to be not me. I'm beginning to be woman. I'm beginning to speak for all women everywhere. And uh, so when I walked up onto the platform, I did a comedy fall and just fell flat on my face, which was a bit of a stupid idea and didn't really work. But the point being, <laughs> the point being, I can't carry that. I have to subvert that. That's brilliant. That has to that go. That is brilliant. So if you had any ideas, I was going to say anything clever. Just, just leave that. That's in. amazing. It was. I love that. It was I love most of all. I love that it didn't work. Because well, that's the way. Do you know yeah. what's funny about that? That's how you genuinely it became an act of humility. Because if that got a big laugh, that's the problem. Yeah, no, it was silent. Then everyone would have been like, silent. "Oh wow, Rachel Gold is the one that did that comedy laugh." No, it was like. She's actually just, oh, oh no, she's, no, she's just right. genuinely she's an idiot. tripped over. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is girl. embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, it was. Why have gone to venue too? <laughs> and even the rest of the week, and, and uh, subsequently, people are like, were you all right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually You will wear, wear these ridiculous shoes. <laughs> no, I think I was wearing flat shoes as well. Because no. I think the whole point I was trying to say, Anyway. anyway, anyway, so come and hear Tim Chadwick on our platform. But I think that's such an amazing challenge. That how can we have those those moments of interruption where we're reminding ourselves again that this is what God's called us to, mm. and, and that is so beautiful. And Tim is a beautiful man; he does mm. really embody that. But I think it's time for the game. So Helen's been talking to young people, and this is what they've been saying: word, 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 word. So these are some of the words that the young people of today are using. So you need to work out what this word means and use it in a sentence. 
today's word is mums. 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 Like literally like the word mums, plural. So I think I, I'm going to go for a slightly war, uh, Second World War probably translation, keeping mum, being silent. So I wonder if it's a little bit of slang, kind of mm. quite old slang that's entered kind of contemporary speech. So it's about not saying anything. Like they, I think it's like, yeah, not like got, keeping mums. Keeping mums, like not keeping actual mums in your house, but like, you know, not being, not speaking about something. Yeah, well, that's good. That's I good. How you use it though? How do you use it? Well, you've just used it. Yeah, mums. Just be mums. Just keep yeah, mums. Keep mums. I think that's good. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna really go out on a limb on this one. Okay, I think um, you know like you know like when you say um, this um, biscuit is my mum's, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Why are you laughing at me? You know when you say this biscuit is my mum's. Okay. This is yeah. the biscuit I'm belonging to my mum. Okay, I'm staying with you. Right. I think that it doesn't. It do <laughs> I think. <laughs> No, drop it like <laughs> this biscuit is my mum's, but it doesn't mean your mum. You're saying it means your mum's, but actually it's not your mum. <laughs> it's it's yours. So you go, this biscuit's my mum's, but actually it's like <laughs> it a way of, a way of saying <laughs> oh, that it's my gosh. biscuit. But you kind of add a bit of because no one's going to take the biscuit if you think it's your mum's. <laughs> so you say this biscuit is my mum's, but everyone knows you mean oh, it. Okay. It's like an unspoken rule. <laughs> okay. That if you say it's my mum's. No one's going to touch it. No one's going to touch my mum's biscuit. <laughs> I think we've got a real insight into Martin's childhood there. That is brilliant. Okay, so I won't touch any biscuits that might be your mum's in case they're yours and your mum. Anyway, let's find out. Here we go. So mum's is a way of saying swear on your mum's life. Matt, do you mean that? Mum's? Oh, swear. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not claiming the point. No, I, but I think you did link it with mum's. Yeah, I mean, I did that because the word was mum's. <laughs> It took so long to get this. It So, of course, the shorter version of Mutt's very Tony Mum's Life. Mums. Uh, yeah, okay. No, well, I call it a no, no score. Nil point. Nil point. So, uh, thus ending this week's podcast. I, I'm going to have to go and have a massive giggle. That is just so funny about you and your mum's biscuits. <laughs> That's going to stay with me all week. Will that stay with you, dear listener? So, uh, whether the biscuits belong to your mums or to yourself, please dunk them in your cup of tea and join us next week week for the next instalment of Martin and his mum's biscuits. We hope you're enjoying the Youthscape podcast. It is free and always will be, but if you would like to support us, uh, please visit patreon.com slash youthscape. You could visit this website if you really wanted to.